Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. All right. Y'all ready to dive in this morning? Let's just, can we do, thank you, one of you. <laughs> Let me try it again. Are y'all ready to dive in this morning? Anybody? All right. That's better. It's like the obligatory. Yes, please hurry. All right. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 15. We began our series on home right here in this chapter. We went through verses 1 and 10. And, and just to kind of catch you up to speed really quick, you know, when we started into Luke 15, Jesus had just taught about the shepherd. He was willing to leave the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. Does anybody, were you here? Do you remember that? Or maybe you've heard that passage before. Jesus um, talking about the shepherd, leaving the 99 to go look after the one. He was going to go find the one, the one that had strayed off, the one that had wandered off, the one that was lost. Now, don't, don't, don't be mistaken. The 99 were taken care of. The shepherd, you know, he, he was a good shepherd. He put them in the care of another shepherd for that day when he went looking and pursuing that one lost sheep. Now, in the same passage, it carries on, and Jesus begins to communicate the same story, but in a different sort of way, talking about a marriage headband of silver coins in which one of the coins was lost. Does anybody remember that story, if you've read that or heard that? And, and, and he begins to describe this frantic state of, of searching for this lost coin in the darkness of a Palestinian home. This lady, she lights a lantern. She begins to sweep and clean. And, man, she is desperately looking for this coin. It's important. I mean, it would be like you losing ladies. Let me see all your, if, if you've got your wedding ring on, hopefully hold that high. It would be like you losing a diamond out of that thing. That's what the equivalent of this is. And so this lady, is, she is frantically looking, eventually finding what was lost. Both stories, they eventually find what's lost. And this culminates in a great celebration. Why? Because that which is dear that had been lost has now been found, which is reason for rejoicing. And we see that both times in these stories where Jesus takes a simple story and he illustrates a very profound truth, speaking to both men and women in different ways in which they might understand, appealing to both genders there. He's illustrating for us a reckless and relentless love of the Father. That's what he's illustrating. He's trying to help us understand the love of a father. The heart that, that when something is lost and it's found, it's reason for great rejoicing. This passionate love of a father. So we've been saying a few things over the past few weeks over and over, and it's important for us to know. It's the main idea of this series called Home, is that God is passionately and vitally concerned with the repentance of broken, hopeless, lonely, and lost people. He is passionately, he is passionately and vitally concerned with the repentance of broken, hopeless, lonely, and lost people. People caught in the darkness of sin. People caught in the chains of their choices. People caught in the bondage of something and in need of freedom. God desires to reveal himself and to be known. He desires for you to know him intimately and personally, and he desires your freedom. Last week, we spent a little time just talking about how God desires to sometimes interrupt our regularly scheduled programming of life to invite us into an incredible destiny, if you remember. He wants the lost to be found and brought back home. And you can bank on this fact. 
God loves his people so much that when they go astray, there is nothing he wouldn't do in order to go after them and to rescue them. We've been singing a song the last few weeks that has seemingly kind of like, uh, like it feels like you really, really like it because it's, you sing really loud. I don't know if that's because it's right there in your good key range or I'm not sure, but I'm feeling like you dig it. I like it. But there's the lyrics in that song that says, there's no shadow he wouldn't light up. There's no mountain he wouldn't climb up to come after us. There's no wall he wouldn't kick down or lie he won't tear down to get to you. And just as God did in the garden in Genesis 3, verse 8, and just as scripture talks about in Luke 19, the father pursues that which is lost, that which is wandered. His desire for you is home. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how Kelly would always teach the boys through these quick little Bible verses and almost kind of like nursery rhymes when they were little bitty little dudes, scripture memory. And, and one of those was Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And I'll never forget all the kids, you know, when, in, when they're, in that, they're in that kind of that phase when they're trying to talk and they don't quite get it all right. But, you know, all we like sheep, I'll, I'll never forget the, the sound of their voices saying that. All we like sheep have gone astray. And that's true. Romans 5, 8. Yet while we were still all sinners, Christ died for us. And scripture says that this is how God proves his love for us, is that while we were still yet in brokenness, in bondage, in need of freedom, while we were still captivated in the grip of fear, God still sent Jesus to die for us. That's how he proves his love for us. God's plan in Jesus was to make a way to enable the broken, the people, the lost, the hopeless, the lonely, to realize their need and to get back home. John 3, 16, you know it. Those of you who watch football, you'll see it today somewhere in the stands, right? It's always gonna be on a neon board with some crazy dude with clown hair that's really freaky. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. John 14, 6, just to further emphasize the fact that God's plan was Jesus for, for us to get back home. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father but through me. Don't, let it, don't be mistaken. He did not stutter here. He's not saying that there's many ways to God. He's not saying that there's many ways to life and freedom and hope. There's not. That's what we try to play on. It's only one way to God and to, to find home, and that is through Jesus. And that's what John 14, 6 says. Jesus is the way to get back to the Father. He is the way home. And because the Father loves you and because the Father wants you home... He always leaves the porch light on. Let me see what I mean by that. Some of you probably feel like, man, I've gone too far. This is what, I mean, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been a part of. You don't know what's gone on in my past, in my life. He always leaves the porch light on. He always leaves the porch light on. If you remember when Tullian was here, he said, God's office is found at the end of your rope. If you remember even a few months ago, that song that we sang that we built a whole series around almost. It says, you know, you get to the end of yourself and then you find something greater. And that's where Jesus steps in. When you get to the end of you, he always leaves the porch light on. Remember, because of man's kind disobedience and brokenness from the beginning, from the garden, from Eden, wandering away from God, everything was broken. And ever since, the human heart longs for home. It longs for the eternal God and for, and, the, and God, does his, his deepest desire is for his highest creation to be home. So let's look at the passage for today, back in Luke 15. 
We're going to start in verse 11. Let's pick up there. And it begins by saying this. Jesus says, as he, as he finishes up talking about the, the shepherd and the lost sheep, and he finishes talking about the parable of the lost coin, he goes on to say, a man had two sons. Verse 11, verse 12. The younger of them says to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had. He traveled to the distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. but No one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the father. I'm going to say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray for just a minute, can we? Father, would you speak to us this morning as only you can? Father, speak to us right at that place of need, but also at that place we just need to be encouraged today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love this passage, and over the years of, of walking with the Lord, I've probably heard this taught, I don't know how many times. But I've never thought of it from different perspectives. And honestly, there's probably three different perspectives that we could look at here. You know, when we look at this, there's, there's three stories kind of wrapped into one, if you will, from three different perspectives, father and then two sons. But I want you to notice something. Um, most of the time, we always hear this taught as the prodigal son, and that's the perspective that we always kind of hone in on. We're going to look at that. Yeah, we're going to look at that. Because prodigal actually is a very important word. Prodigal um, really means wasteful. And so in actuality, though, I want you to know what verse 11 says, because when it starts, verse 11, when Jesus kind of goes into this part of his story, he begins by saying, a man had two sons. And so what I really want us to understand, because this is kind of where we mix it up, and we'll see in a minute, we'll even see in the story, when we look at the prodigal side, the son that decided, decided he wanted to go his own way, the, one of our chief problems is, is that for some reason we really do believe that, that, that God's created universe really spins around us. That it's all about us. But the truth of the matter is when Jesus launches into this passage that we focused on the sun so much, which is important and we're going to do that in a minute. I really want you to see that when Jesus starts, he says, a man had two sons. A man had two sons. The story's focus should be on the father. The father is the main character in the story. And the father should be the main character in our story. So while I want us to keep our eyes on the humility in the heart of the father, there are things that I know that we can learn from the son in the story as well, especially concerning how he is vitally and passionately concerned with us coming home. 
with us coming home. So he starts, a man had two sons. Basically, there was once a father. The younger of the sons said to his dad, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. Give me what is mine. Give it to me early. This is coming to me, I know. So go ahead and let's do that now. See, according to Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, Jewish law speaks to the rights of the firstborn. This isn't even the firstborn here. This is the younger son. But in Jewish culture, an elder son would actually receive twice as much inheritance as any of the other sons. That's the right of the firstborn. And the father could actually distribute his wealth during his lifetime at any point as he wished. So it's perfectly legal for this younger kid to come and ask for his share of the estate or even to sell it if he wanted to. But it was certainly not a very loving thing to do. Well, let me say why. Dad, give me what's mine. Imagine your 14, 15, 16-year-old walking up to you right now and saying, hey, give me what I deserve that you've worked so hard for that you're going to pass down when you, when you die. That probably wouldn't go out really well, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to be tweeting about it later. Like, can you believe what he just said to me? Um, I mean, it's basically saying, it's basically like your kid coming to you saying, hey, I wish you would go ahead and die so I could get what's mine. And that's what's happening. I mean, can you imagine that level of entitlement from your, from your child? Can you imagine the heartbreak that that father must have felt even still? I mean, obviously, this family must be extremely well-to-do. They're well-off. And, and this son, in arrogance and naive immaturity, I mean, that he would actually go to his dad and demand his part of the inheritance. He wants his share, and he wants it now. I mean, put yourself in the story. What would you do right here? What, and what does this father do? Well, the scripture says, so he distributed the assets to them. He went ahead and, and drained his accounts, gave his son's portion of the estate to his inheritance. He gave it to him. But I, something that I noticed after I even finished writing this is when it said this. It said, so he distributed the assets to them. To them. I didn't even, this is free, by the way. It's not in my notes. <laughs> But he says, so he distributed it to them. I want you to think about this. Here's a, probably a pretty wealthy dad who gets this from his youngest son, and he goes ahead and he just kind of liquidates everything. And he distributes to them. He gives everything. Watch where it's going. He gives everything that he has over to his sons. He just gives it up, gives it all to them. Amen. <laughs> Speaking in tongues, but I translated that. All right. He went and drained the son's portion of his estate, the son's inheritance. He gave it to the son. Verse 13. Not many days later, this, the younger son gathered together all that he had. He traveled to the distant country, the far country, maybe your scripture says, your translation, where he squanders his estate in foolish living. Scripture says that this kid, most likely a teenager or young adult at best, he gathers all of his belongings, his belongings he gathers his portion of the estate, and he, and he goes... Um, to basically the far country is what it says, the distant country. Everything, please understand this, everything that this kid has, everything he possesses, everything he owns is because of this father. Everything. He gathers his belongings, goes to the distant country because he wants to be on his own. He wants to go his own way. He wants to do what he wants to do. He did not want to live under his father's provision or protection anymore. He wanted his freedom, his life that he imagined for himself. What he assumed freedom should look like in his imagination. This is what he's after on his terms in the far country. 
running from his father, running from his family, running from his identity, running from home. He's running to the far country. Thomas Huxley once said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do just as he likes. Have you ever run away before? I remember as a kid, like, I always saw cartoons where the dude had a stick and he had a bandana and put a few things in there and tied it up and put it over a stick and took it out of the house, right? I'm like, you ain't gonna fit much in that thing. <laughs> you know, but have you ever run away before or tried to as a kid? I mean, or, or maybe have you ever run away even in your own heart? Think about it this way. Even in your own mind. Because see, I would suggest that the far country, the distant country is not simply proximity, but it's a posture of your heart. It's a posture of your heart. And we go in in verse 14. After he had spent everything, a severe famine strikes the country and he has nothing left. I mean, he never stopped to think or to consider, um, you know, how maybe what his father had given him should be stewarded. He never even considered this. He spent everything he had on foolish living. He quickly spent his entire inheritance on waste, extravagance, sinful living, drinks, prostitutes. I mean, I've read it said, a sinful state is a spending state. It's a departure and a distance from God. It's the far country of the heart and of the mind. And this young man in the pride of self and the arrogance of great conceit in his own sufficiency He takes the inheritance of his father and his forefathers. He takes his birthright and he gives it away, squandering it on selfishness and sinfulness, abdicating his identity altogether. See, sin has a way of distancing you. It has a way of breaking you. It has a way of stealing from you and suffocating you. Sin has a way of of taking you, I heard it said like this when I was a student, it takes you farther than you want to go keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs far more than you want to or are willing to pay. That's what sin does. So look at what happens in verse 15. So then he, he went to work for one of his citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. I mean, this kid had it made under the protection and provision of his father's estate. He had everything going for him. And now he finds himself broken at the bottom. No friends, no finances, no family. What is he doing? He's feeding pigs. I mean, culturally speaking, this is the lowest of low. This is as low as you can go in this culture. He's hanging out with pigs. He's in the slop with pigs. And this is what his life has turned into now. I mean, can you imagine going from this fancy estate into the fields with what's considered one of the dirtiest, most horrific thing in society? And here we have this son, this guy, with an obviously influential and affluent father who has fallen so low that this is where he finds himself. Verse 16 says, it was so bad, he even longed, I mean, he was so desperate and hungry, he even longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. But they wouldn't even feed him that. This is how low it's gotten. I mean, no one, no one would even give him the food left for the pigs. Can you see just how low of a point this guy has reached? He forgot his identity totally. I mean, and, and side note, man, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you belong to. His father had provided a lavish life for him. Yeah, he had responsibilities, but who doesn't? His purpose was not with pigs. 
And this young man was not born into the family that he was born into to slop pigs. I can guarantee you that. This was not what his father would have designed for his life. Someone better listen to me today on that. Listen. Sometimes we find ourselves literally drowning, but, but it still takes hitting the bottom before we will even figure out that we need to take a breath, that we can swim up for air. And look what happens, verse 17. When he came to his senses, basically he woke up. He realized where he was, but he also realized where he wasn't anymore. And he says, you know, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I mean, even my father's workers are more satisfied and better off than me. And here I find myself dying of hunger. It's at the moment now that he finally realizes what he had left behind. Who, you know, he remembered who he was. He didn't belong in the place where he found himself right now. He belonged home. And so in desperation, he formulates a plan. He decides, man, this is what I gotta do. Verse 18, I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna go to my father. I'm gonna say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer even worthy of being called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers if you must, but please, please take me in. What he's saying is, Father, I desperately need your forgiveness. I have royally messed this up. I'm not even worthy of the title of your name any longer. I'll even do anything I have to do, even if you have to treat me as one of your hired guns. You could never even look at me again and, 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 and think of me as your former son. I'll do whatever. I just need your forgiveness. I need to be home. That's what's going on here. And his, in his mind, he's going, you know what? I'm going to go own what I've done. I'm going to go tell him, I'm going to confess of my sin. And he's thinking, my, if he will just see me, if he will just hear me, and maybe he'll show some sort of kindness to me, even with conditions, if that has to be it. Even if he treats me like hired help, that's fine. Just as long as he will let me come home. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. And let me just drop just a little bit of knowledge for you right now, if that's okay. Free. Some of, this, some of this stuff I've had to learn the hard way on my own. Trying to go to the far country. Thinking that I wanted to do it on my own. Figure it out, you know, my own freedom. So this is where this is coming from. Um, I, let me say this. If you go chasing for your own version of freedom, this is why I say the father will leave the porch light on. You will have an unconditional loving father who will allow you to go and try to find your freedom. Now, hear me say this. In fact, I heard it illustrated when I was a teenager. I'll never forget because this guy's up there and he's just yelling. I mean, so much spit is flying. I'm glad I was like on the second row because I was like, I don't want to be in the splash zone of this guy, right? But he starts talking about like, you know, if you want to do this, go get it. And he spent like five minutes going through scenarios of what teenage culture was dealing with in, you know, the year 1991 and two, which is fairly similar to what they're dealing with today. But he, this dude, I mean, he would just label stuff out and say, go get it, run and get it. Get after it, go get it. And at some point I'm like, I don't know if this is a good plan to tell a, a room full of 600 teenagers to go do that. You know, like, go get it. You know, that's what he kept saying. Go get it. He should have t-shirts. Go get it. It just wouldn't have been good. But I mean, that's what he kept doing. Go get it. If you think you can do, your, do it on your own, go get it. I'd rather you not, the father says, I'd rather you stay home. I'd rather you stay under my protection and my provision. I would rather you stay under my care and understand my kindness for you. The world's a hard place. It's very unkind sometimes. But I'm not going to force you. 
I love you. I'm not going to force you. You choose. Home or the hills of the far country. Home or the seducing harlots of the world. If that's what you feel like you need to do, I'm not going to force you. Go get it. And you're going to get what you get. And if you go, when you find that you have royally created a mess for yourself and that you have squandered what your father has given you on selfishness and sinfulness, you will eventually turn around and realize what you had at home. And you will long to return. You will. And this is exactly what happens to this guy. Verse 20. So he got up, he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and his father begins to run to him. He throws his arms around his neck and begins to kiss him. And the son says, father, I mean, he goes into a plan, right? He had a plan. So he's just going to start articulating what he, this is what I'm going to say. He says, father, I've sinned against heaven and, and I've sinned in your sight. I'm not even worthy of being called your son. But listen to what happens. The father says quickly, he looks to all the servants and the higher helps. He says, quick. Here's what I need you to do. I want you to go get the best robe that we have in that estate. I want you to go get that ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. I want you to put that that family crest back on his hand. Put that ring on him. Remind him of who he is. Remind him of who he is. There was zero hesitation. The unconditional love of the father welcomed the wayward son back home. Listen, forgiveness was not even in question for his son, and neither is it for any of us. It was not even in question. Look what the father does. Get the best robe, put the ring on his finger, remind him that he's family, put sandals on his feet, return his uh, his dignity. And 23, then bring the fattened calf We're going to slaughter it, we're going to cook it, and we are going to celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine who was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. See, when someone repents, there is reason for rejoicing. And that's what happens. They begin to celebrate. They're going to party like it's 1999, y'all. Somebody, come on. Hello. My son's home. He was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but he's found. He's home. He's found and he's free. He was in the bondage of a lot of stuff, a lot of darkness, but now he's back. He's where he's supposed to be. He's back under my protection. He's back under my provision. He's back in the family. This guy had been restored back into his identity and his purpose. Listen, we all long for home. I don't care who you are. I don't care how arrogant you might be sitting in this very moment of your life. There will come a time where you have tried to chase after it. You have tried to go get it. Your father unconditionally loved you. He said, if you feel like you've got a better way, you can try. But I'm going to tell you that the wages of sin is death. But I'm going to give you a path back home. And that's through Jesus. And it's unconditional. And when I see you turn around, because I'm right behind you. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. So when you finally turn around and you lock eyes with me, I'm going to put a robe on you. I'm going to put a ring back on your finger. I'm going to put sandals on your feet. And we are going to party because you're back home. You're back home. We all long to be home. I'll never forget a few years ago. I've told this story to you before, but you may not remember it. And so I'm going to tell it to you again because it's very applicable. A good friend of mine is a um, camp administrator, a youth camp administrator, basically. So he lives out on a, on a camp property his entire life, which to me would be like reading Dante's Inferno, but to live there all the time. Um, yeah, that's a joke. Laugh at me. Um, but um, felt like Jeb Bush a little bit. Please clap for me. Um, so that's where he lives. And he lives with his family. His teenagers are there, et cetera, et cetera. Well, 
One day, the son decides to go to a field party. And the 14-year-old, I think, 14 or 15-year-old daughter at that point decides to go with him. They sneak out of the house. They go to this field party. And there's a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't be going on, especially um, with teenagers like that. And, and basically, um, the girl uh, begins to drink some things, and she blacks out. She wakes up hours later, and she's been incredibly violated, not once, but multiple times. And um, basically, the son ends up realizing that she's gone. He goes to find her. He finds her, and he gets her home and um, wakes dad up. I don't know what time this is. It's probably really, really early in the wee hours of the morning at this point and begins to just break down and starts to tell his dad, try to, tries to tell him what happened. And, and so, of course, the dad goes and tries to, you know, sit with his daughter, and she is absolutely a wreck. And, um, and he just holds her for hours. This is a true story. Holds her for hours. And he begins to say to her, listen, um, after he tries to find the right words to say, because, you know, I mean, obviously his emotions are all over the map. He's angry. He's sad. He's devastated. He's hurt. He's scared. He doesn't even know the full extent of what's happened to his daughter. You know, I mean, he, he meets her in her room. She's kind of curled up in fetal position on her bed, and he just kind of sits down with her and puts his arm around her. He didn't even know what to say for a long time. And finally, he musters up just enough to say to where he says, listen, I want you to hear me. There is nothing you could ever do to make me not love you, ever, ever. There's nothing you could do to make me not love you. And he says that for a long time until finally, you know, her emotions kind of calm down. And then he begins to, to add to what he's saying to her. I love you, I love you, I love you. Listen, this is why I have boundaries. This is why the boundaries are here. This is why we said don't ever leave the camp unless we know where you're going. As long as you're under my protection, I can provide what you need to keep you safe and happy and healthy and whole. But when you leave the perimeter of my protection and my provision, I cannot guarantee your safety and your wholeness and your happiness even. But there's nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. Nothing. Nothing. If you had just stayed under my... Do you see where this... I mean... I want you to see this. If, if we all, if we just would stay under the protection and the provision, under the proximity of, of God's design for our lives and the identity that he's created us for and not try to wander off to the far country, to the distant place. Remember, it's not just about proximity. Maybe for some of us, it's about the posture of your heart today. But we all long to be Home. We all long to know who we are. We all have been created and called with this great purpose and design. And, and sadly, in the life of this little 14 or 15-year-old girl, man, she was just trying to figure out who she was more than just the daughter of this youth camp administrator. She knew the truth. She knew what God said about her. And you know what? A lot of us know what God says about us. He knows. We know what he thinks about us even. And whether it's a, it's a battle of unbelief or what. And no matter who you are or where you are, there's going to be a point when you realize that you've wandered into the far country. And you just need to get back home. No matter if you've wasted your inheritance. 
or if you're just now realizing that you even have an inheritance. We all long for home. Don't forget who you are. You were destined for great purpose. If you're stuck in sinfulness and selfishness and and you've lost your purpose and you've forgotten your identity, you've sought out your own version of freedom and you now know that you have made a mistake and you're running away from home, all you have to do is turn around. You'll see the father there running towards you. You'll see um, him ready to restore you to remind you of who you are, ready to redeem your recklessness, ready to renew your purpose. And sometimes, listen, sometimes in order to achieve your freedom, you have got to activate your faith. In order to step into your design, you gotta get up and get out of that deep pit and quit hanging out with pigs. You gotta get up and get out and get home. So maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe, Maybe you are here realizing, man, yeah, I need to get home. I need to get home. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Listen. The prodigal is the wasteful. But I really want you to see the father. Don't get caught up in sitting, staring just at your sin. I want you to see the father. And if you need to turn around, look for him. He's right there. He's running towards you with this unconditional, passionate Relentless love. It's relentless. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today. God, thank you that you absolutely love us, God. You have a unique design for each and every one of us. You have an incredible purpose for each and every one of our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, as we continue to look at home, I pray that we would know you intimately. That we would know that you know us. God, I pray that we would step into freedom. That we would get up and realize where we are. That we would get out of that pit by calling upon the name of Jesus. And we would get back home. To be reminded of our purpose. Our design that you've created us for. Church, just in the spirit of prayer for a second, man, if you, if you have never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, and what this means is you've never said, Jesus, I, I want you to change me. I need your forgiveness. I want freedom. I want relationship with you. Would you forgive me? If you've never done that, the Bible simply says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so it's as simple as you crying out and saying, Jesus, would you save me? I need forgiveness. I need freedom. Change me and make me new. That's all you have to do. You tell him that. There's nothing magical. It's just you agreeing with him and acknowledging him and inviting him. You turning around to look for him and you'll find him right there running to you, ready to put a ring on your finger sandals on your feet a robe on you and ready to celebrate with you because you're home and maybe for some others of us that we found ourselves in the distant country this morning be encouraged because the father leaves a light on the porch lights on for you it's time to return it's time to turn around 
and you'll see him running. Father, we bless you and we thank you, God. Thank you that you are such a loving God. You're such a loving God. You're such a loving Father. Before we um, move into response, um, man, I just want to encourage somebody. I don't know who you are, but I just really, I felt like the Lord doesn't want us to leave this moment without just you being encouraged with one thing. And that's this. Man, if you're having a really hard time wrapping your mind around this concept of a loving father this morning, oh man, this is where that activated faith steps in. If, you, if you've never had that illustration played out for you with your own dad, you can know this. People are broken, but the father is whole. And there's no way for me to convince you of that than just to encourage you to reach out and allow him to convince you of his love and faithfulness for you. But he absolutely loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so if you're having a hard time just reconciling the idea of a dad who would leave the light on and love you unconditionally, that is the heart of this thing that we call gospel centered around Jesus. And so I pray that you hear that this morning and receive it. Let's all stand to our feet and we're going to respond. We have prayer partners right along this wall over here if you need someone to pray with you. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.